The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend and heal the Lord? Who stand in holy place? He hath in hand the pure heart, who hath put his soul in it, nor else will deeply. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O your gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Recently, uh, Disney hired a radical feminist to direct the next Star Wars movie. And I listened to a bit of the interview that they had on the news that she gave. And she said in all of her films that she makes, she likes to make men uncomfortable. And her art is basically just to preach to people. She wants to have a message that people will leave convicted of their sins. And she's the one that uh, defines what the sins are, but she wants men to leave convicted and sorrowful for their sins of being a man. And not to make a good movie, not to make a profit, not to make it something that someone would enjoy, but to preach, to preach the law to people. It's the same with all the social religions that you have uh, in today's world. They preach a law, but there's no answer to it. They preach their standards, but there is no forgiveness. So here's a woman that takes the helm of one of the biggest movie franchises in history, a $4 billion property, and then talk and use that to promote the idea that women just can't get ahead in the world. And then to preach and to scold men for being men. What lies underneath that constant refrain of scolding and social activism in everything? I mean, you can't, you can't watch um, a ball game without somebody scolding you for something. You can't um, turn on the news without someone scolding you for something. You buy something from the store and you look on the package and there's someone preaching the law to you. There's law everywhere to conform to this standard or that standard. But there's no grace. There's no mercy. There's nothing you can do to make up for it. There's no way you can atone for your sins. Um, admitting fault and admitting guilt is just a proof of your worthy for judgment, but there, that's all that there is. And just notice that, that in our world, it's very, it's very legal. Very, here's a standard you have to live by, and if you say the wrong words, you're out, you're done for forever. If you said the wrong words 20 years ago and someone happened to catch it on tape or you had a picture of it, that's it. It's over. It's done. 
um, you're, you're gone. When you, get, when you reject God, someone or something will take its place. So, if you, so we said we don't want God's law. We don't want God and his word to guide us. So we cast out the word of God. We cast out the Bible. We, we, we don't want the Bible to be a ruling influence in the lives of our, our society. And what happened? Another law came in to take its place. Another religion came to take its place. And this one is with a lot more laws, a lot worse laws, and no forgiveness and no grace. For some, it's the social issues. For some, it's uh, diversity and equality. But how can we get there? Right? How can we get to where they want to be? Well, do better. Silence the sinners. Judge the unclean. But then what happens? Well, then you have pushback that ignores um, problems and, and then it's just back and forth fight, fighting fire with fire. But it's all the same. It's all trying to achieve something. Some big idea. Some, some utopia that, that some way, somehow, we're going to make this place perfect. We're going to make this world perfect. Some with, uh, do it with politics, with the goal of transforming the country. Or to take the country to a, back to an ideal goal. And then they orient their life to support people who hold their ideas. And only if we have, if only if we, if we can come together, then there'll be peace and prosperity and, and joy and happiness and, and the, the rivers will overflow with, with joy and, and prosperity. So no matter what, realm of life that you look in, people are trying to find something transcendent, something bigger than themselves, something to, to guide them, something to, to fix everything that's wrong. People know there's something wrong. They, they know there's something wrong with the world and with the relationships between men and women, with relationships between different countries, with relationships between maybe uh, rich and poor, relationships between um, just uh, people who di differ on things in our society. Everybody knows that there's a problem and then we all try to fix it with different, uh, different means and different measures. But what if we stop and consider that this is all symptoms? We see these things as a problem, but what if we step back and say, well, this is just a symptom of a problem? That Everyone is trying to find the answer in the wrong direction. And trying to find the answers to all the ills our country and our society from the wrong place. It's not, no, certainly you can't, certainly there's wrong ideas and wrong ways of doing things. I'm not saying that everybody um, is wrong or, or nobody's right. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that, that looking at the problems of society and, and trying to put band-aids on the things ignores the reason why there's problems to start with. Looking at people who want to, to, uh, 
to make something beautiful and make a statement about the world, whether it be in music or movies or, or politics or art, whatever it is, they want something bigger than themselves to try to, to preach to the world, this is the better way to fix it. Well, this psalm deals with these truths that are common to all people. There's a recognition that there is a, a desire for transcendent truth, that, that there's a desire that for truth that is higher than ourselves, higher than politics, higher than just the normal troubles that we have. There, there's a truth that's, that is above this world. And that, that to understand that, we see that's how we get meaning and purpose and importance in our lives. Because when we throw out the reality of God, then you try to find meaning in your life and in different areas, different uh, goals, different activities. You try to find meaning there. But this psalm shows us that from the very beginning, there is a transcendent foundational truth that orients our minds to how we are to look at this world and how we are to look at ourselves. See, the Lord is the almighty creator. He is the sovereign and we are his creatures. And if we are to have communion with this holy, sovereign creator, we also must be holy, something that we're not. And so this psalm deals with all these things and then gives us the solution to that problem. So why do people preach and judge? And why are all these, you, you can't say this and you can't look at that and you can't, you know, on society, I mean, you know, these words are off limits and, and, it, you know, if you do something 20 years ago, then you're done forever and, and you're canceled and there's nothing that you can do about no forgiveness. Well, why is that? Why is it that, you know, a, a movie actress will win an award instead of walking up there getting a trophy and saying thank you? What does she do? She gives a speech and she scolds people. Um, an actor wins an award or a musician wins an award and he gets up there and says, well, thank you. I've been making millions of dollars by singing songs. Gets up and what, what do they do? They, they give a speech and they scold people for this or that or the other. Why is that? Because they know that there's something wrong. They know that people do bad things. And the only answer is more law. But what if the problem is that it's humanity that has sinned? That it's humanity that has sinned against their creator? And the, problem, the answer to this problem is not to buy electric vehicles or to you know, get more training to not offend people. The answer is to deal with our sovereign God. So let's look first in the first two verses, this foundational truth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. 
So we start with the foundational truth. The Lord, he is God. The earth belongs to God. Everything in this earth belongs to God. Whatever it is that we see, whatever it is we possess, it all belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. We're stewards of what we have. Everything belongs to the Lord. And so if we have foundational truth that worries our minds, it's getting else the way. Look with me in verse 3. Jesus passed in ruins to purity. And it's just a warning against pagan idolatry. He starts out with that warning, and then we get to this text. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but things that are not. And none seek his own man as well. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, eat, asking no question for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is said before you eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered during the sacrifice to idols, eat not for his sake. That showed it for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thy own, but of thy other. For why is my liberty judge of another man's conscience? For if by grace, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of, for that which I give thanks. Wherefore, whether ye, therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. So, Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are advantageous for him. So just because you can do something, doesn't mean you ought to do something. Some things might be allowable, but they're not edifying or they're not helpful to anybody. So the example he provides is eating meat sold in the market. So he's saying you don't have to worry about where that meat came from. So in these cases, animals were sacrificed to the gods in the city. And they would go and sacrifice a bull to the false gods. We got all this meat left over. Well, they'd take the meat to the market and sell it. Paul's saying you don't have to go to the market and track down to make sure it was grass-fed, ethically sourced, free-grain, organic beef raised by a Baptist before you can enjoy it. He's saying it doesn't matter where it came from. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means it belongs to God and you can eat it. So, you go to the grocery store, you don't have to go and say, well, is this ethically sourced free-range organic beef or, or where did this come from? Because I don't want to buy from the wrong... You don't have to worry for conscience sake. You're not sinning if you buy from the wrong meat company. Everything belongs to God. And he said, yes, that meat was offered to idol, but also at the same time that steak... It belongs to God. The earth is Lord's in the fullness thereof. Eat it and enjoy it and go about your day. Then he said, so if you're invited to a feast by an unbeliever and you want to go, well, you go and you eat whatever they provide for you. You've committed no sin. Someone invites you to a birthday party and you go and, and you're at the party and 
they offer you a hamburger, you don't have to go and track down where the hamburger came from. Eat it and enjoy it. But if there's a believer there whose conscience is bothered by it, saying, hey, that was bought in a pagan temple. You shouldn't be eating that. Paul says to consider this brother for conscience sake. For the same reason, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he said it twice. In verse 26, and then uh, verse 28. And one, he said, you can eat it because the earth is Lord's and the fullness thereof. But then in the second part, he says, well, maybe don't eat it if it's going to offend your Christian friend because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul's not judged by another man's conscience. So he's not saying, I'm not going to give an account for somebody else's scruples. The earth it belongs to God, and all the fullness belongs to the Lord, and I am free to eat it or not eat it. I don't live myself. The world is not to me. I don't live how please. The earth and every in it, including me, the Lord. So my life belongs to God, and my, my preferences are guided by the word of God. I don't go around and say, no man... I'm not going to be have my liberty judged by another man's conscience. I'm going to do whatever I want, and I hear what So Paul says, conscience free, under the Lord's And you enjoy God's right because it belongs to him, and he's given it to you to enjoy. But you live under his law and for the love of God and the love of the brethren, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness there. This world belongs to God and everyone who dwells within it. So that's the foundational truth. People are not possessions and resources for the government's use. The earth is the Lord's. Children don't belong to the state. They belong to to the Lord. And the the family raises the children. Employees don't belong to their employers. Right? Right? God has a claim on every human being as their creator and their Lord. The earth, the, the, the river, the mountains, the hills belongs to God. The animals that we have, it all is the Lord's. Our life is the Lord's. Every breath that we have is given to us by God. And if our everyday decisions down to what we eat, are based in the reality that the Lord, He is God. And this is His world. That, that's going to change your perspective on everything. As you sit down to eat, you thank God for the bounty that we have. Thank God for the variety of, of foods that we can, we can eat. I've told the boys um, that they have more food options than... King Solomon himself. You can go to save a lot and have more options than King Solomon could have ate. Right, right at your fingertips. Because, because of the, the, just the, the blessings of this nation and the blessings of, of modern technology. I always kind of laugh when I see fresh seafood signs and in West Virginia, and you buy shrimp and, and 
stuff from the ocean in West Virginia. Could you imagine that? What a, what a blessing it is that we have. Well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it, so we thank him for what he's given us. We humble ourselves under his word. And so the Lord created this world. He founded it. He is the creator. He is the Lord and the king. So that's where we start. And from there, we go on to live our lives and to look at one another, not as objects for us to break and, for, and, and people as tools and pawns in, in a political scheme, but individuals made in the image of God. The Lord founded this world, and he is the Lord and creator. Caleb has to take a science class this year, and he chose astronomy. But uh, I think, unfortunately for him, it's more of a religious studies class than his astronomy class. Uh, he sent us one of the questions of, of a quiz that he had to take. And first of all, they defined what science is. And then based on their definition, they had a multiple choice question of which was not a valid answer for the motion of things in space. Right, so which is not, based upon their definition of science, which was not a valid answer. So A was God. B was animals moving the rocks in space. C was ghosts. D was magic. And E was magnetic fields. So do you see what they did there? First, they gave a definition that excluded God. They said, okay, here's the definition of, of science. God cannot come into the equation. So no matter what the answer is, you can't think about this from a perspective that God is involved whatsoever. Because they said, we're going to be neutral and we're going to be scientific, so there is no God as far as this is concerned. Imagine a world where there is no God, take the Lord out of the picture, then we'll think about it. But then they turn around and ask a question about how the universe is sustained, and they make God to be a joke. Ghosts and magic and animals, those are all laughable things that, that would move uh, things in the, in the space. Oh, and God too, that's, that's also a laughable thing. This is why I say it was a religious studies class, because the, the point of this was religious and very sinister. They're saying, we want you to step off the firm foundation and think about the world and the universe in the sinking sand. Step off this foundation that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Step off of it Go out into the quicksand, and then we'll talk about um, answers. And then we'll make fun of the firm foundation. Right? Very sinister. It's very subversive. But that's, that's what's wrong with the world. You can't step off the firm foundation that God is the Lord and this earth is, is his. You can't step off that. You can't imagine a world where there is no God. As popular as the John Lennon song is, it's, you know, it's foolish. But you can't imagine that the Creator doesn't exist and that there is no Lord. That's, that's the very foundation of 
of our lives. The Catechism for Boys and Girls, question one, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you and all things? For his glory. Little boys and girls learn that um, at a very young age. Um, who made you? God made me. See, you know this truth. And the scoffers can frame it however they want to frame it. And, you know, I was thinking Caleb's teacher can frame it however he wants to frame it. And he can have however many letters he has after his name. And he can have however many degrees and how much education that he, that he has. But you know one thing he hasn't done. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't raised the dead. And until he raises the dead, I think I'll take the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ raised the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is Lord. And unless he can do that, then I'm, I'll stick with his word. That's the foundational truth. And so from there, we, we transition to a critical question in verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? So there is a God. He is the Lord. He rules all things. He is good and mighty and all powerful. So they ask a critical question here. Who can ascend and stand before this Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? There is a God. How can we stand before him? Some people think this was written whenever the ark was first taken back by uh, King David. Remember that uh, Israel lost the ark to the Philistines where Eli was high priest. And the ark, Israel was treating the ark like it was magic. And they went out to war thinking as long as they had it, um, they would win. Well, the Philistines beat them. They took the ark as a prize. And that's whenever they took it into their temple, Dagon, and God knocked the idol over to where the idol was bowing down before the ark until it was just a stump. God sent the plagues to the Philistines until someone said, hey, I think it's this ark. Let's, let's get rid of it. They sent it back to Israel. Israel recovered it, and they were so happy about it. They said, let's check and make sure the Philistines didn't steal anything out of it. They opened it up. God killed 50,000 men. Sinful men aren't to come before the holy things of God. They weren't allowed to touch that. Men with sinful hands could not approach the ark of God. Those who remained said, Who is able to stand before this holy God? And to whom shall he go up from us? In 1 Samuel 6.20 Who can stand before this holy God? Well, many years later, David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. So they build a cart and they transport it to Jerusalem. And David rose with the people, bring the ark. And, away the ark. and Uzzah was standing next to the ark and he wanted to steady it. You don't want the ark to fall on the ground. He grabs a hold of it, makes sure it doesn't fall, dies. Not allowed to touch it. You can't come before this holy God with your sinful hands. 
Well, David, desiring the holy things, desiring God's presence, saw God's holiness, and it was presented with this problem. Who is able to stand before this holy God? Who can do this? There is a God, but who can stand before him? So they go back and they study God's law and they, they found the right way to carry the ark, not on a cart, but you, with the stage, you put the sticks through it and, and you carry it. You don't cart it around. And they went back and they did the right thing and the ark was brought into Jerusalem. So, so some think that this was written at this time. with Who can stand before this holy God? Who can bring the ark into Jerusalem? Well, verse 4 and 5 tells us the answer to that question to some regard. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. All right, blessings and honor straight from the Lord. The only thing that you have to have are clean hands. And I'm not talking about washing your hands and getting the dirt off of them. Sinless. Sinless hands. You've done nothing wrong. If you got sinless hands, then you can receive a blessing from the Lord and you can stand before his presence. Oh, not only that, but you also have to have a pure heart. So you can't just do the right thing. It has to come from a right heart, pure motive. And as long as you haven't lifted up your soul to vanity, as long as you haven't pursued empty things in your life and, and never pursued things that are sinful or things that are just worthless or things that don't um, bring glory to God, as long as God has been number one in your, for your whole life, as long as God has been the most important thing and you've loved him with all your heart and all your soul and all your might your whole life, perfectly and perpetually, exactly, well, as long as you don't do that, oh, as long as you've always told the truth and you've never lied to anyone, Never lied to your mom or dad or your teacher or, or your boss. or any, As long as you do that, you'll be fine. You can stand before the Lord. What do you think? I think we'd be in trouble. Who's of a pure heart? Who has never sinned? This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, or God of Jacob. A generation who sought the Lord, who sought one with clean hands and a pure heart. And they look around and say, well, who's that going to be? Who would that be? The foundational truth, there is a God. He is our creator. You belong to him. Everything belongs to him. Our whole life must be oriented around the fact that there is a God. But then he is holy. And the only one that can stand before this holy God is one who is perfect and pure inside and out. And only he will receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So what's the answer? 
the King of glory. The King of glory is with men. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be you lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And as if to underline it and put it in bold letters, lift up your heads, O you gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Selah. Who is it that can fill this critical requirement? Who is it that can answer the question of verse 3? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who, who shall stand in his holy place? Well, the call goes out. So imagine we're in Jerusalem and you're inside the city. And a call goes out. You who seek his face, open the gates, open the doors. And actually, they're in the poem here, in the psalm, they're talking to the gates. They're talking to the doors themselves. Open the doors, open the gates of the city. Lift up your heads, look up. Repeated twice for emphasis. Who is coming? Who's calling the alarm? Who's sounding the alarm? Who is it that's entering into the gates? What's the king of glory? The king is coming into Jerusalem. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, Jehovah, strong and mighty. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The Lord who is mighty in battle. Jehovah, the Lord is the king of glory. He is the one that can enter in. He's the one that can ascend to the hill of the Lord. The Lord is the one who can ascend to the hill of the Lord. It is he who can stand in the holy place. The Lord enters the presence of the Lord. How is that? Well, you read that, it's talking about a man, isn't it? Because he's ascending, he's standing. How can this be? Well, here's the answer to the question, to the critical problem. How can a sinful people come and stand before a holy God? Because of the king of glory. He was born of a virgin. And according to the everlasting covenant was made flesh, conceived of the Holy Spirit. This king of glory assumed a human nature and was true man, a holy man. And the king of glory lived under the law and had clean hands. The king of glory lived under the law and had a pure heart. And he never lifted up his soul to vanity. He only spoke the truth. He never swore deceitfully. All of his words were pure. All of his deeds were righteous. He was the only one who could ascend into the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place where the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what did he do? 
this Holy One, took our sins upon himself. Though there was no sin upon him, he took his sins upon himself and offered himself a sacrifice for sin. The ark is the place of propitiation, the mercy seat. They offered the sacrifice, they sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat, and that was on top of the ark. When the king of the glory came, he he is our propitiation. He is not just the place where the sacrifice was offered. He was our sacrifice. And the king of glory came to this world and offered himself a sacrifice for sin. Bore God's wrath on our behalf. That he might give us his righteousness, as the psalm says that we might receive those blessings through his righteousness, through his obedience, through his sacrifice. That is the answer. Everybody knows there's something wrong with the world. But until we see that there is a God, and a creator, and it is his laws that we must obey, and then that we see that we are holy and without sin, and we cannot... Go back. We cannot earn our our righteousness until we see that, and then look to the King of Glory as a means of salvation, of forgiveness. You look out into the world. Everybody's got law. Everybody's preaching law, but you know it's bitter, self righteous, hateful. Because there is no forgiveness. There is no mercy. I feel sorry for kids who have social media and put stuff on there now. It's going to be on there forever. And you know what employers do right now when they hire somebody? First thing they do is go to Facebook and they find those people and they say, let's look what you put online. And they say, well, there's something I don't like that you posted on there 15 years ago. Sorry. No mercy, no forgiveness. Not in this world. But with God, there is forgiveness. There is mercy in Jesus Christ. And I believe that this, well, I know it is the gospel that is the answer to these problems. And and when people are looking to solve the world's problems through these other means, what a beautiful opportunity to, to show the beauty of the gospel, not through law, not through self-righteousness, but through the grace of God that forgives sinners. You're right, the world is messed up. It's messed up because it's sinned against God. But Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive sinners. The psalm of the crown, our king, who died for us, who gave his life for us, is the, the message that is the answer to the, the angst and the, the trials of, of the people of this world. It's the beauty of the message that we hold dear. And when things are off the rails, whenever the world is, is falling apart, we can remember whose world it is. 
And we can remember the King of Glory has come. And He's coming again. I pray this message man, a comfort to you and a help. And that, that we can be encouraged tonight by the, the blessed truth of this uh, salvation. Let's stand and be the